How's everyone? Is anyone okay? <laughs> that was literally complete silence. Uh, probably much better than that. Uh, good to see you all. Uh, I missed you last week. I want to thank you Wes for filling in for us. Um, I was at a men's retreat and then uh, got back and, and had another speaking uh, gig this last week. And so um, I have been talking to lots of different people uh, after preaching about lots of different things. And one of the things that's kind of stood out to me over the last few days or week is the same thing. It kind of stands out to me every time that I, I, I get to interact with people more frequently than I typically do uh, in kind of religious confessional type settings where people are prone to be more honest and, and it's the, the truth that everybody has a story right in everybody's life right now uh, there's more going on than what we can tell just by looking at them um, and there's more going on than we can tell even by observing their actions right you can't you can't always judge someone in the sense of understand who they are by their worst actions um, you would definitely not want someone to judge you on your worst day, right? Uh, at the same time, you can't judge someone or define who they are on their best day. Um, it's just not how it works. Um, and, and, and what I noticed over and over and over again, and it shouldn't be a surprise to me by now, but, but, but it kind of was, is that everybody seems to have at least one or two or three big key things that they're worrying about that they're anxious about, that they are fearful about. Um, and, and occasionally it might be something that most people would look at and be like, that's, you know, that's an easy one. You shouldn't maybe be worried about that one. Most of the time, all of us have pretty legitimate excuses to be worried and to be fearful. Um, and unfortunately, as we'll see today in, in the scriptures, um, these excuses that, that we have, these perhaps legitimate excuses, um, we use in order to disobey Christ, uh, who, who tells us, as we'll see very clearly, don't be afraid, don't be anxious, do not be worried. Um, I, uh, a couple weeks ago, hurt my side a little bit, and I've had this just little twinging pain in my side, and uh, it's, it's not hurt that bad, but it's kind of continued hurting, and so... On Monday, I made a doctor's appointment. I got back in from, from out of town. And they could take me right after I was done with this, the second gig on Friday. And so I went on Friday, and I was expecting... So I have, this, I have a, a, a diagnosis, disease, whatever, that doctors like to call um, being a baby. And so I expected her to more or less say, you're a baby. Here's a lollipop, you know, it'll feel better. Uh, and so she's, I looked it up, obviously. I was really more going for a second opinion and just put it in my medical chart, the diagnosis that I already made, which was I, I had some bruised ribs, okay? And she's like, you definitely have some bruised ribs there, but she's like, you know, I, I think there's more to it than that. And I was like, yeah, you know, the past couple days I've kind of started wondering if the pain was below the ribs a little bit, actually. Like, that was where the real pain was coming from. So she laid me down and started kind of pressing around right there. And I was like, ah, that's where it hurts. And then she jams her fingers into my side. And like, I'm sure my whole body like convulsed. And it's like searing hot pain, like, like the kind of pain you can only see white. And I'm not sure I've experienced a whole lot of pain like that. And 
Uh, I did not scream or hit this doctor in question. Um, it was funny because afterwards, you know, in the waiting room, there was a boy screaming as if he was being tortured and like somebody needs to do something because we're all going to be on the news as the people who <laughs> sat there and listened while this horrific crime was committed to this kid. I was like, well, it could be worse. I could have screamed like that little boy. She's like, yeah, it could have been worse. And she, she jumps back because she can tell how much it hurt. It hurt a lot. And she goes, you didn't tell me it hurt that much. I was like, you know, interestingly enough, I didn't know it hurt that much <laughs> until just now because I don't go around jamming myself into places that I think might hurt. And she goes, okay, well, the, there's a bigger problem than the bruised ribs. You, you've hurt your spleen, which is right under the ribs, which I'm already at a deficit now because I've had my time, have not had time to WebMD spleens, know what they are, know what could be the problem. Um, she has gotten me under her own turf now, okay, where she has the advantage, and I don't like how doctors do that. And she goes, there's two things. I'm like, immediately, right, a little more worried. I'm not in control anymore. I kind of thought I knew what was going on. Uh, and I'm like, what does that mean? I don't, I don't. First, like, so what is the spleen? <laughs> what does that do for us? Uh, and she goes, well, it could just be, it could just be kind of bruised up and hurt, like the ribs, and it heals on its own. Or, you know, it's possible for it to be lacerated, for there to be some internal bleeding right now. And I'm like, you say that again. Um, <laughs> You know, the worst part about being a hypochondriac is when things actually are wrong. <laughs> because then it just proves everything you've ever thought your whole life. You're like, we're making some changes around here. Um, that was right. And, and so she goes, we're going to have to get a CAT scan and see if it's torn. And, and I'm like, what's the worst case scenario? She's like, worst case is there is, it's torn somehow and maybe there's some bleeding. And you'll have to have surgery, but it's not a big deal. They'll fix it, but they'll have to cut you open. And I was like, what's best case scenario? I was like, am I getting a lollipop out of this? What are we? <laughs> so the best case is it's just like the bruised ribs and it just needs some time to heal, right? And we'll, we'll just manage the pain. I was like, well, the pain's pretty well managed as long as you don't do what you just did. Um, and so uh, I have a cast skin on Tuesday, so I appreciate your prayers for that. Uh, hopefully uh, it's, it's nothing other than, you know, just some tenderness. Um, but all of a sudden I started worrying, right? Uh, I'm a worrier. I'm kind of a professional at it. Uh, got the diagnosis for it. Um, got a certificate. And, you know, I'm sitting there now playing through in my mind. Like, this is an uncomfortable feeling. An hour ago, I was fine with whatever tenderness was right here. Now, though, I'm imagining some kind of, like, bleeding taking place. And that makes me a lot more uncomfortable. And this morning when I went to the doctor, you know, I did not expect surgery to be anywhere near the table and now and that's kind of out of my hands uh you know who knows what what it'll show up and who knows you know I'm, i might be having surgery very quickly um so i started worrying and i went into this pattern this cycle of worrying and so so what i did is you know i went to the scriptures and went back like i i, I try to do trying to train myself um to to when i encounter a problem to go see what jesus has to say about it uh, to, to head, go to the Gospels, go see Jesus' teachings on it, and start there, dig in there. And so um, I found a, 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 a very special passage uh, to me, and, and um, one I think um, speaks to all of us at all times, uh, particularly those of us who right now I think have a legitimate reason or two or three to be worried, to be anxious. 
Um, so if you have your scriptures, um, I'd love to dig into it with you. If you'll flip me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 is where we'll be. We're going to start a new sermon series next week on community uh, and kind of what the Bible has to say about community and, and, and what we'll be trying to do here in the future with community. Um, but for today, I'd like to, to just think through uh, something that I think is a, a, a pretty common ailment that all human beings go through, um, even we'll see back in ancient times. We didn't invent worrying. Um, and uh, we're not going to be able to solve it either, unless perhaps we were able to, to really sink into what Jesus has to say for us. So Luke 12, we'll pick up in verse 22. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Notice that's a command, it's not a suggestion. Uh, it says, don't be anxious, just stop it, cut it out. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about anything else? Consider, Jesus says, the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was never arrayed like this. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, Tomorrow it's thrown into the oven. How much more will he clothe you, you little faith? And don't seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. Don't be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Your Father, he knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not. Don't be afraid, little flock. For it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, and with the treasure place where, where thieves can't break in, they, they can't um, steal, and moths can't destroy. And he ends in verse 34 by saying, For your treasures, that's where your heart will be also. Um, so, so Jesus is now teaching, and we just read, a, I think, a beautiful teaching. Um, and he's saying this, basically, right? Don't be afraid, don't be worried, and don't be anxious. Cut it out. And if we'll notice the gap between where we are in the world and where the, his original audience is in the world, we'll see it's it even more um, kind of shocking in the first century. He's talking to peasants in Galilee. Um, and you know the little play with like third world problems versus first world problems, right? That's kind of the difference between our worrying and their worrying. Um, these are people who prayed for their daily bread because they had no daily bread. Um, and these are people who had legitimate worries um, about whether they had clothes to wear the next day, about whether they would be alive, they could protect their families from a sudden invasion, from, from uh, a, a Roman um, governor getting upset and deciding to make an example out of a village or a family or something of that nature. And, and it's in that context, one of legitimate life or death, anxiety perhaps, um, more often than not, that Jesus commands, don't be anxious. There's three commands in the passage. They all kind of get to the same thing. The first is, of course, don't be anxious. Um, and then verse 29, he says, don't be worried. Uh, and then in verse 
32, he says, don't be afraid. Um, if you've been around for a while, you'll know, you might remember that I've, I've, I've told you, um, do not be afraid. It's a, the most often repeated command in the entire Bible. Do not be afraid. 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 As if God knew that we were going to be put into this world and there were going to be good reasons to be afraid. And that the right mindset is the one that's constantly hearing the Father, the creator of all things, telling you, stop it. Stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. I get the picture of like a child, right, who, who maybe is a little shy and, and maybe has a tendency to be afraid and to be anxious, but is taking it kind of overboard. And you've proven to them multiple times that there's no reason for them to have this anxiety or fear. And you're now just like, stop it, stop, stop being afraid, stop, stop being afraid. You're walking with them, right? I've, I've shown you, I've done everything I can do, just stop it. I know it's scary, I get it, I can see through your lens, but you got to trust me here. I'm no longer suggesting lens to you, cut it out, stop with this fear stuff. Um, and Jesus says this about the future, what's going to happen to you in the future? What, what are you going to eat? What are you going to put on your body? Um, Again, those, those kind of fears are hard for us necessarily to, to, to resonate with. Um, we don't have to rely on God or have anxiety, most of us, about what we're going to eat. Most of us have the resources, whether it be wise or not, we at least have the credit to go really anywhere we would want to right now in Houston and have whatever kind of meal we would want to. Um, and it would take no prayer take no no trusting in God. Um, now there are some of us who perhaps have larger problems that, that do take complete trust in God. Like we have nothing that we can do to affect that. And then for most of us there's things in between that we can maybe do a little bit here and then have to eventually rely on God to, to trust. And so this is the command that Jesus gives us. He says kingdom people are going to be different from people outside of the kingdom because they're not going to have the same level of anxiety and fear and worry. Um, and this is not just like a blind command, okay? Jesus says it's, it's all about recognizing where you are and whose you are in the kingdom. So he gives us two reasons um, with two illustrations drawn from nature. Now, as a worrier myself, I, 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 I think he could have done better than the two illustrations. So he says birds, they always get fed and and I happen to see a lot of dead birds around, and, and I want to know well, what's happening there. Somebody did not feed those birds. Um, and my dog's being fed, but that bird, right, is maybe not taken care of. And, and then with the grass one, it's already in there, right? He's like, the grass lives for a day, and then tomorrow it's being burnt up. I'm like, you could have gone for a longer-lasting plant, perhaps. You wanted to reassure my anxieties and my fears and my worries. Um, and so perhaps the point with Jesus is not, uh, as we'll see, that bad things will never happen, uh, or perhaps there's nothing for us to have anxiety about legitimately, just that because of, again, what we know and where we are and whose we are, um, even, even those things that might come our way and even those things that might still be ahead of us um, are to be faced in a much different um, tone and much different with a much different posture than those who don't know the Father uh, and don't have the kind of trust that, that those um, who follow Jesus have. So he gives us two reasons, I think, why not to be 
anxious and worrying and, and, and fearful. The first he says with the ravens is, look, they don't do anything. They're not, they're not the hardest workers, okay? They're not, they're not making money, they're not investing it. Um, they don't store stuff up. Um, they're really, they're, they're not, you know, um, they're not the most resourceful of creatures. They just kind of find food. Mere childlike. They, they just get food. And, and I think his, his, his point here, he, he kind of says it afterwards. He says, which of you by being anxious can add a, a single hour to your life? I think his, his first reason here is, is why, why anxiety is useless in the kingdom. It's a, a, a waste of uh, emotion and, and passion and energy. Is because we overestimate our power to solve problems. Um, it doesn't say necessarily there's not problems. But we, we vastly overestimate our power to solve them. Um, he says, look, who's sat down and like worried well enough that they've added an hour to their life? The answer is nobody. No one's ever done that. Um, and, you know, science would probably tell us we maybe take some hours and some days off of our life. Um, and he goes, look, if you can't do that little tiny thing, I mean, that would be cute if you could get an hour, maybe. But if you can't do that, why... Why are you going to waste your time? Why are you going to do this? Um, I'm, I'm the type of worrier where I go through all scenarios. And that way I feel like I'm in control of the situation. And, and feel like I'm prepared for any kind of outcome. Uh, and so I will, for a one-minute phone call that might be uncomfortable, spend three hours going through every scenario in my mind, Right? Um, you know, if he responds with this, am I just going to jump in? Am I going to leave some space for him to say, like, hello, how are you? Um, you know, where am I going to go? If he gets angry, how am I going to react? All those kind of things. And, and I'll, I'll go through just endless scenarios in my mind. And eventually, you know, it ends up with me dialing and, and the phone rings and your heart's beating and all of those go out <laughs> the door and you just swing it, right? Um, and you realize... All that planning and worrying did not change how this was going to happen. You're going to call, and you're going to talk to him, and you're going to have to do your best to communicate what you need to communicate, and to be as gracious as you could be, and then to trust God to change the rest. But, but all the worrying doesn't actually affect the actual phone call. It doesn't change that much, um, except perhaps negatively to, to the rest of your day, to your, your mental health, to your physical health. Um, we're, we're, we really overestimate our power, too, I think, to control our circumstances. We love to pretend that we're not creatures. That we, that we have some sort of overall authority. Um, we love to forget the fact that we didn't choose our parents. We didn't choose where we were born. We didn't choose the kind of skills that we were given, the kind of weaknesses that we were given. Um, that, in fact, most of the things that have taken place to get us to where we are, with whom we are today, could kind of be seen as like cosmic accidents. Like, think about, you know, chaos theory, butterfly theory. If, if, if just two people had not met randomly at some point, there would be no way that you'd be here today. Um, a lot of things have to fall into place. I mean, think through, just take one relationship today. 
um, and think through all the different scenarios that had to factor in to you having that relationship. It could be a marriage relationship. Um, that person had to be born plus or minus, let's say, 15 years or 20, 25. I don't offend anybody. Um, like 40 years, maybe. Um, I don't know. Could be stretching it. Um, but right, there's a time frame. At least they have to be born while you're alive. We can say that. Uh, and then at some point, your paths have to meet, right? These are things you're not choosing. You're not choosing who you're born to. Um, maybe where you're going to move as a child. Uh, perhaps what your parents teach you to value. And so you'll value that in a potential partner or spouse, those kinds of things. Um, we're, we're far more limited than we like to think. And there's a freedom to understanding that. But there's also some fear that comes with that. Um, Jesus says you don't get to control every circumstance. You don't get to actually help anything by worrying. And I think without saying here, Jesus implies what we know, which is we often don't have the power even to name our blessings. Uh, We often don't even know what's best for us. And so if we got to choose on an item-by-item basis, we would probably not go through our experience a lot of the things in the end will be some of our biggest blessings. We'll choose so much short-term gratification that we'll have a stunted moral character. We'll have no ability to endure or persevere. We'll have no ability to really know the Father's heart um, because we've, we've chosen out of places of suffering and solidarity um, and, and things of that nature. Um, in fact, I would, I would maybe argue that a lot of times it's some of the things that we'd want to get rid of most if we were in control that turn out 5, 10, 15 years later to be big blessings in our lives. Um, Jesus says, with all of those limitations, calm down. Calm down. The ravens don't even have the ability to make these calculations or to pretend that they're in control. And yet they get fed he says, you're worth more than the, the birds. And, and God's going to feed you. The second reason kind of goes along with the first. The first is of really no help in and of itself without the second reason, um, which is, is where he talks about the grass, um, and, and he talks about seeking the kingdom, and, and he says this in verse 32, Fear not, little flock, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That word good pleasure, it's his delight. It's his joy. He says the second reason is because we... We overestimate our ability to change things, and we underestimate God's ability and His willingness to give us good things. We're, we're habitually underestimating God's character um, and underestimating His goodness to us. Um, Jesus, over and over throughout the Gospels, is going to paint this picture of God the Father as of one of His abundance, as one who has a sole desire to pour out blessings into your life. Um, and, and Jesus will say, if you know the Father and you know his heart for you, you know, one, he doesn't run out of resources. So we don't have to hoard our money like others hoard their money and things of that nature um, because we know we live in abundance. Um, and he says, two, and we don't have to hoard our money because not only does God have more than we'll ever need, but, but he has more motivation than we have for he to give it to us. He delights. What this means is we don't have to beg his, his. We don't have to turn his arm. We don't twist him. We don't have to beg him. We don't have to somehow earn it or do like a trick and pony dance for him. 
this delight. There's some kind of emotional result that God gets. Just as any good father or mother would when they get their gift, their child a gift. And think through whether you're a parent or not. It could just be a friend or someone you love. The, 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 the emotional payoff that you get sometimes giving a good gift. And, and when Jesus is teaching about prayer, he says, just ask. The Father wants to give you. Just ask. He, he tells a story about a, a father who's wicked. And he says, what kind, of, what kind of human father would ever, if a child asked for an egg, throw him a scorpion? Or if the child asked for a fish, toss him a, a snake? And then he says, if you all who are evil know that that's not how you do it, he says, think about the Father. Think about the Father. The, father, the Father's not going to give you a scorpion when you're asking for eggs. Now, again, it, it might be at times circumstances where it feels like you're asking for eggs and you're getting scorpions. But the problem there is not God's character, Jesus is saying. The problem there is it's a very complicated world. There's a lot of people with free agency. Um, perhaps it looks like a scorpion, but it is an egg. It's a difficulty that's going to bless you, actually. Right? Maybe we're not so skilled in determining between the two. Um, but I, I think I've said this before many times. The problem of evil is a problem not located in God's heart, in God's character. It's located in the decisions of other people. We can always be clear about what God desires and what God wants, especially for his children. Since we underestimate God's goodness for us, he, he delights um, not just in what we do, but in who we are. And he just wants to give us good things. Um, think about the prodigal son, the heart of the father. He just desperately wants his son to come back so he can give him everything that he's got. The father on the cross proves he'll give anything be able to give his children life. Um, so, you know, the cross presents an interesting decision or question or conversation for the theologians. Does God die on the cross? The, the real answer is probably yes and no. Um, we say we need to get Trinitarian here. God the Son dies on the cross. But God the Father and God the Holy Spirit do not. They're different, they're different people. They're different persons. Um, now, they, they're all involved in every action that they do because they're one, but it is appropriate to speak of distinct things that each one does in different actions. So on the cross, it's God the Son who's dying. It's not God the Father. So there's this heresy that says God the Father died, and, and he had passion and emotion and pain in that way. Um, what theologians have said is, no, what's happening there is there's passion going around throughout the Trinity, but it's different <coughs> kinds of passion, right? The, the passion of the Son is what it feels like to die, to lose a life. The passion of the Father is what it's like to lose a son. He's experiencing pain, but it's a much different kind of pain. He's just as involved in giving something up, but where the Son of God is giving up his life, Jesus is giving up his protection over his son. And he experiences what it's like to lose a child. Again, Why? So he could give a gift to us. And, and the scriptures would say, if that 
if that's who God is, do we doubt him in the, the small stuff? If he's, if he's already given us the most he has to offer, it's a pretty safe assumption that he'll take care of us in the small stuff. This is not a, a saying again that there aren't any problems or legitimate reasons to be anxious. Just that perhaps a kingdom person would be less anxious or a different type of anxious. You know, the scriptures talk about the possibility of grieving in a different way than people without the hope of the resurrection grieve. That the difference isn't you get rid of grieving, but you're grieving as one who has hope. And so perhaps the, the difference would not be someone who has anxiety or someone who doesn't have anxiety or fear or situation that might rightfully warrant fear, but somebody who has anxiety without trust or, or fear um, without paralysis. Um, someone who knows the kingdom, where they are in the kingdom, whose they are in the kingdom. Um, they're able to um, understand that, that their, their small amount of power is nothing to worry about because someone who's got more power than they'll ever have has them in their hands. And, and, and as hard as it might seem, the Father actually loves us more than we love ourselves. So if he thinks whatever situation we're going through is, is okay for us to go through, even if we can't imagine what might good come of it, at the end of the day, kingdom people have to say, you know, there's more than I do. His choice is better than my choice, even for my own goodness. I'm not some kind of science experiment where he's seeing how much I can suffer so he can learn or do test me or something like that. This in some ways will be worked out for my good, Paul says. All things will work out. Even in the most mysterious of ways, God will turn them into good. Notice it doesn't say God actually does bad things to turn them into good. He just says, no, he takes what's there. And no matter how bad it is, He's going to, like a beautiful composer who hears the rest of his band going on to a slightly different note or tone, goes with them and steers them back slowly, joins in the dance without disrupting it, and brings all things to his purpose, makes all things work out for the good of his people. And so the alternative... Jesus gives here, instead of being anxious or afraid, he says, seek God's kingdom. Seek his will on earth. Um, Distract yourself. Be on mission. And he gives you actual actions that are counterintuitive. He says, um, sell your possessions and give to the needy. If you're anxious about your finances, I don't think this is really what an average psychologist is going to suggest to you. (laughs) Why don't you make your financial situation a whole lot worse? (laughs) He says, "Give, give to the needy. Put the kingdom first. Put your treasures somewhere else. Um, you know, sometimes we'll never be able to trust unless we've had a reason to trust. Sometimes God's abundance for us, His goodness for us, is at best a hypothetical until we take that step and put the kingdom before our desires. And then, when we hit real anxiety, 
we also hit real provision. And, and we're now able to realize and experience the character of God and be able to not worry and not be afraid in a way that we perhaps weren't otherwise. Um, I'm more and more convinced by this idea, I've been exploring it the last few weeks with different groups, that, that acting, doing things, is actually one of the best medicines to getting to know um, God's heart and God's character. That sometimes you can't even really understand a command until you've done it. Um, in the same way, perhaps, right, your doctor might tell you you need to, to exercise for 30 minutes every day. You might kind of know that in your mind, kind of maybe disagree or just be like, I don't do that, sorry. Give me the equivalent pill, please. <laughs> and so maybe you did that, and a year later you're like, wow, now I understand. That changed my life. There was no way, though, for me ever to know that. We're not even talking about experiencing it until I actually just got up one day and set the clock for 30 minutes and exercised. Um, I think this is maybe why Jesus jumps from like 101 to 401, from beginner's level to advanced level. Beginner's level is like, let me tell you about God. He loves you. He'll take care of you. Advanced level, like, in the same moment, is like, give everything away. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, we were just getting started here. Uh, tell us more about why we shouldn't be anxious. And Jesus says, well, maybe the best way to get rid of your anxiety is to put yourself in a place where you're more forced to experience God's provision for you. Maybe sometimes we talk so much about prayer, and then in 20 years we're not much better at praying than if we were to actually sit down and pray, and then try out different ways of prayer, and do it together, and reflect on it together, and find ways that work for me, but maybe they work for you, and work for you, but maybe they didn't work for me. And whereas before we were like, I could kind of get by without prayer. You know, after 10 years now we're like, wow, I understand the command to pray at all times. I understand the command of the power that comes to prayer. I didn't. It was just a formula in my mind. But now I get it. I wonder if that's what Jesus is doing with this suggestion. So, so this morning, you know, I'm a little nervous about the cast scan coming up. Um, we've all got things, I think, to be rightly worried about and things that are on our mind. And so I'm going to make a couple more suggestions for us to maybe just do practice together um, beyond selling all we have to the needy. Um, although i got to say, Jesus mentions it a lot. There might be something to it at some point, somewhere. Um, the first one is, is for anxious, worrisome, fearful people. Um, maybe try out keeping a gratitude blog for a week. Writing down all the things that you're thankful for. All the things that God gave you that you didn't give yourself. Um, you might remember I read a book years ago by an atheist who tried to do all the commands of the Bible, and at the end of it, he still was an atheist. But um, he, there's uh, a spleen right there. I'm sorry. Uh, he, at the end of the book, said the the one thing that transformed his life that he was going to do for the rest of his life 
requests. There's some times in the Bible where we're commanded to give thanks. It's not, again, like a suggestion. And it's not like a feel warm, fuzzy thoughts about God. It's like a say something you're thankful for. And the congregation would be like, bread, or kids, family. And he was like, that transformed my life completely. Um, that took out so much anxiety. I'm a high-profile celebrity who does immersion pieces for a job. Um, just being aware of how much I have to be grateful for made me such a more peaceful, whole human being. Maybe more gracious, maybe more forgiving, maybe more loving, made me happier with myself, made me less greedy. Um, so maybe try that. See what that does to your heart. See what that does to 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 your your worries. Number two, I'm a big fan of this one. The more I think about it, because I just think I've failed on this one for years. I could have been doing it. Is to really celebrate when God comes through for you. I mean, so often we're, we're praying. We've got this problem coming up, and and God. I think we all can tell stories like this, where God really honestly comes through for us. Like, what if at those moments we didn't just like go like. What's the next problem? What if we, what if we like said, um, no, um, I, I don't care what we were going to do tonight. We were going to call up our friends and get some drinks and some refreshments and some snacks and some food, and we're going to celebrate. We're going to make a big deal out of this. And, and maybe we write it down or take a picture of the party or something like that, um, because the next time that I'm anxious about something, I want to be able to quickly go over to the corner and look at 10 years worth of God coming through for me and remembering the joy and the trust and the friendships. You know, this is one of the things that, that, that I'm so sorry I haven't done yet. Because now I get anxieties and I go through the same exact thoughts that I did eight years ago when I think I could have skipped some of those if I just kept better records of my life. God's done a lot more for me than I remember. Um, one thing we could do is with a friend or friends or a spouse or family member is we could make a list each morning of our worries and fears for the day and give those over to God and, and trade and have someone else pray for you as well. Do that for a week. See, see, see what that does to your awareness of your worries and fears, to your perspective. To, um, to the way you see things throughout the rest of the day. Um, two more, the fourth one, there's this thing called the prayer of examine. It's a practice that you do at night where you answer three questions. Um, the first question is, when where today did I sense God's presence or love? Where was it that I really felt it? The second is, when and where did I not feel it? Where was I lonely today? Where was I tired and weary and anxious and full of worry? Again, I think these things will just help get you some more perspective. You'll maybe start to see God working more and more. And, 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 and the goal of the prayer examine is to get to this third question and have clarity with it, which is where and when is Jesus inviting you into more rest? He's saying that situation where you're consistently tired and alone and weary in, that's the next place I want to give you rest. So press into me there. Be intentional there. 
look for me there. And the last one is maybe start a new discipline, a healthy engagement. Exercise. Exercise can be really simple and it can be very spiritual. Sleep. Getting more sleep. It can be really simple. It can be really spiritual. Um, memorizing scripture. Um, praying at certain times of day. So in those times aside. Growing these faith muscles. Um, volunteering. We know there's a long way against anxiety and fear. Um, which are all things I think that fall into the seek the kingdom first attitude, right? Um, you don't make the list of your fears and worries and then Xerox it 12 times and put one on your car windshield, two in your pockets, um, one in your change of clothes, one at your office, one in your bathroom, one at your home. You put the list and you pray over it and then you give it to somebody else. You, you, you become aware of what God's doing in your life and then you say, okay, I want to read my scripture. You, 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 you don't just block it out, you add. You, uh, you don't just lose something, you, you gain something. Um, and in all those ways and more, I think perhaps we might find ourselves more able to obey what is a command. Just don't, don't be fearful. Don't be anxious. Don't be worrisome. Be a kingdom person who perhaps deals with anxiety and fear and worry in a way that acknowledges the Father's goodness and provision over our lives. So with whatever it is in your life today that has maybe some anxiety or fear or worry creeping into your heart and mind, my prayer is that we would we would um, offer that up to the God, to the God, to the Father. Um, and then we would sincerely seek to put the kingdom first, above that worry and above that fear. Um, and I think we might just find ourselves experiencing the life that Jesus came for us to experience. Which you pray with me? Father, we, we love you. I thank you for the scriptures that you have given us. I thank you for um, the teachings that you give us. Without, without the scriptures, without your teachings, um, I, I would be very lost. I would, I would probably come up with some wrong ideas and, and mess a lot of things up. But by careful attention and by constant reminders, Father, um, you've given us gifts that would help us be more faithful. And not just as you know, obedient robots, but more faithful in, in such a way that we get to experience your gifts. We don't block ourselves off to the life that you have to offer for us. I pray that, that these worries and anxieties in the room this morning um, would be um, carried off with the spirit of peace this morning. Um, would, be, would be shrunk in the sight of the Prince of Peace. Would, would run away with, from the presence of the Father of all peace and all goodness and all love. And that in, in, in this new place of being and living, we, we might be able to more witness and be a witness to others about your kingdom and the good news that you brought to the world. 
we know we'll have struggles, but we know you've overcome. So just as we grieve as those with hope, help us to to worry as those with trust. As those with the Father who loves them in his control. It's in your son's precious name that we pray. Amen.